Follow us on Twitter, your favorite podcast platform, and now on YouTube as a podcast, or be- become a patron over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ham radio guy. Hello and welcome to the Ham Radio Guy. That's your host, Marvin W0MET. We're bringing you the latest of topics, news, and information each episode right here to this show. Well, another field day gone, uh, done and gone, and uh, this is a rebuilding year as I got to learn a little more stuff and really just test some equipment. And, you know, I decided to make the move over to Linux uh, during field day this year when trying to configure my Mac and get everything down to just one computer platform and just having some prior issues with Windows and whatnot in the past. Um, you know, I still have some limitations on Mac. I couldn't get past. So I decided that Linux, uh, knowing that there's several ham radio programs that work with uh, Linux very well and the people develop a lot of programs around Linux for ham radio, I believe this will be a good move for me. Now, I do want to thank uh, KM4ACK for helping me get his 73 Linux system installed. And uh, if you've not tried that before or you would like to play with it uh, as well uh, and, and do some work around Linux, I will leave a description of the link in the show notes for you to take a look at. So um, with that, I'm going to move into this week's topic. This is a uh, set of two, uh, it's a series of be two shows, uh, be this week and then again two weeks from now, where we're going to get into talking about uh, radio propagation a little bit. Now, I'm not going to be one to say I know everything about it, but I'll try and give you a, a 20,000 mile level overview. Uh, it's hard to really get into the full details of it all, but it is a fascinating world uh, of radio propagation and its impact on communication. And in today's brief yet informative episode, you know, we'll be diving into the phenomenon of tropospheric ducting and its effect on VHF, UHF radio waves. So with that, let's tune in a little bit more. Um, again, tropospheric ducting, uh, and it comes off a description here I found online, it's an electromagnetic uh, propagation in relation to the troposphere. And this service area uh, from a VHF or UHF radio transmitter extends to just beyond the optical horizon at which a point signal starts to rapidly reduce in strength. And viewers living in such a deep fringe of uh, reception area will notice that during certain conditions, weak signals normally masked by noise increase in signal strength, allowing the quality of reception such conditions are related to the current state of the troposphere. So, when tropospheric ducting uh, is a weather-related propagation phenomenon that occurs in the Earth's troposphere. Now, that is the lowest layer of the atmosphere, and it involves the bending or refraction of radio waves due to variations in the temperature and humidity. Pretty simple, straightforward stuff so far, I think. Stay with me here. In the context of the VHF UHF radio waves, which typically operate in the frequency range of 30 megahertz to 3 gigahertz, Tropospheric ducting can have a significant impact on signal propagation. Normally, radio waves at these frequencies travel in straight lines following the curvature of the Earth, kind of the atmosphere. However, under Pacific atmospheric conditions, such as temperature inversions 
a layer of warm air can be trapped between cooler air masses. This creates a duct or a channel, makes sense, in the atmosphere that acts as a waveguide for the VHF and UHF radio waves, allowing them to travel much farther than they normally would. So they're in that duct and they're you know, going along that channel and uh, they're trapped in between those two air masses. Now, the E-layer of the Earth's ionosphere, located approximately 60 to 90 kilometers above the Earth's surface, also plays a role in the tropospheric ducting. The E-layer can reflect or refract the VHF-UHF signals, causing them to bounce back to Earth to extend their range beyond the visual line of sight. Another factor that contributes to the tropospheric ducting is the presence of a forward scattering agent, such as small water droplets or dust particles in the atmosphere. These agents scatter the radio waves, redirecting them along the ducting path and further enhancing the propagation distance. So, a lot of information there, but, uh, you know, the observable characteristics of such a high-pressure system uh, are usually in clear and cloudless days with little or no wind. Uh, sometimes at the sunset, uh, upper air cools as does the air surface temperature, but they can be at different rates, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, producing a boundary of temperature gradients, allowing an inversion to form. So that's kind of how that starts to, uh, uh, it can have the same thing happen at sunrise or sunset. Again, not everything I can explain around uh, some of this, but it is quite a phenomenon that occurs. So let's hear a little word from our sponsor. And uh, we'll be right back with you in just a minute here. Support for the Ham Radio Guide podcast is provided by Club Gear Online. They offer a unique selection of customizable items, including graphic design services and amateur radio apparel. They are the go-to company for our club, and anytime I'm looking for a new ham radio shirt, to support those who support the amateur radio community, Visit clubgearonline.com today. Well, welcome back to the show, and uh, let's finish the discussion here on propagation. And uh, tropospheric ducting can result in long-distance communication that defy the normal limitations of VHF and UHF radio waves. It allows for contacts over hundreds or even thousands of kilometers, probably should convert that to also miles, uh, which would typically require higher frequency bands or satellite communication. Meteorologists and radio enthusiasts often use the Hepburn Tropo Index, a metric that predicts the likelihood and strength of tropospheric ducting conditions. By monitoring this index and other weather parameters, operators can anticipate when favorable conditions for extended VHF-UHF propagation may occur. It's worth noting that tropospheric ducting is more commonly experienced in microwave bands, such as those used for satellite communication or point-to-point -point microwave links. The higher frequencies and narrow beam widths of 
microwave signals make them more susceptible to bending and ducting effects. As we conclude this brief exploration of tropospheric ducting, it's important to remember that this phenomenon is highly dependent on atmospheric conditions, it's not a constant occurrence, and when it does occur, it provides radio operators with exciting opportunities to reach far beyond the usual range of the VHF, UHF, and even sometimes even HF signals. So that wraps up the information on this um, edition of, of the radio propagation for this. I hope that you found this information about tropospheric ducting and its impact on VHF and UHF communication and lightning. Stay tuned again for my next episode, talking a little bit more about the uh, radio wave mysteries uh, of radio propagation. And if you ever have any questions or topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes, please let us know. Until next time, keep those radio waves alive and buzzing with excitement. And, um, you know, continue to monitor those. Uh, I will try to put some links in the show notes descriptions that will give you some links to uh, see where you can find when that ducting is occurring and where that time frame is around. And for the latest news here on the Ham Radio Guy podcast, uh, Wednesday morning, June 21st, 2023, the FCC had reopened the universal licensing system and supporting systems according to an email distributed to the Volunteer Examiner Coordinators organizations. The shutdown put the brakes on amateur radio filings and other FCC applications that were facing immediate deadlines, causing widespread frustration and much wider speculation as to the cause behind the shutdown. The FCC's public announcement did not address the cause. The announcement cited technical issues. It was not possible to determine specifically where those issues occurred or why they had occurred, and whether there had been a security breach or if any presumed built-in redundancies failed to operate properly. As of Thursday the 22nd, the electronic batch filing system used by VEC organizations for filing exam sessions and applications was still not available as promised. Unfortunately, this means applications for new and upgraded licenses, individual and club license filings, still cannot be uploaded into the system for issuance. The AWRL VEC will comply with the FCC directive, limiting their transmissions but sending as many backlog sessions as possible without overloading their systems. The files will be submitted to the FCC in the order in which they were received, starting with the files from Monday, June 12th. On June 10th through the 11th, 2023, the Great Tennessee Air Show once again was headlined by the U.S. Navy Blue Angels demonstration team. As I was there in person, I spoke with Tom Delker, K1KY, Air Show Communications Coordinator, who said that the amateur radio operators from Middle Tennessee Emergency Amateur Radio Systems have been supporting the air show since the mid-1980s, with more than 40 members of the National Amateur Radio Club, Williamson County Aries, and the Stones River Amateur Radio Club, partnered to provide operation support leading up to and throughout the air show. Operators were able to deploy multiple technologies during the event, including simplex radial operations, RF mesh networking, IP surveillance cameras, APRS tracking, and weather monitoring and measurement. The Smyrna-Rutherford County Airport Director 
John Black and Deputy Director Salal Rai expressed their sincere appreciation for the team and all those who worked the event. This volunteer amateur support translates, translates to operations money that can go directly towards community projects. In addition to the U.S. Navy Blue Angels demonstration team, historic aircraft, including the Spirit of Detroit DC-3 and the F-22 Raptor, highlighted the show. The next great Tennessee air show is scheduled for 2025. And as we go into the 4th of July weekend here, the 13 Colony Special Event is marking its 15th year on the ham bands. This this special event will be running from July 1st through July 7th. Bob Jesuit, WA3PZO, is the coordinator for WM3PEN, a special call sign activated for the Cradle of Liberty in Philadelphia. It's a relatively easy event for many people to operate, Josewitz explains. It's making contact with one or more of the 13 special event stations in each of the original 13 colonies. Plus, they've added over the years three bonus stations, WM3E, I'm sorry, WM3PEN in Philadelphia, GB13COL in England, and recently TM13COL in France. Joshua says activity during the 13 County Special Event Station has been climbing rapidly in recent years, and there are special occasional pileups, so you may need a little patience and persistence to get through. Last year, they were worked a well over a quarter million contacts for all the stations combined. And for WM3PEN, back in 2013, had just around 13, I'm sorry, 3,000 contacts, and last year were just closer to 13,000 contacts. There is a special certificate offered for operators working the event, and each of the groups running stations in the original 13 counties had special QSL cards tied to this year's theme surrounding the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Now, I've actually taken participation in this myself the last two years, was able to get the certificate in all 13 QSL cards. It is a very cool and special event. I will be spending my 4th of July weekend as well working this uh, event. Further on to finish the story, we'll be on all modes at different times using HF and satellites. There will even be some slow scan television. Uh, the best thing to do is watch the various spotting networks such as DX Summit. And there's a 13 Colonies Facebook page which people can monitor as well. Now, Joseph says you can uh, you don't have to be a contest to work the stations. He says just the operators at each station realize how much interest there is, and they will be operating long hours, even on the 4th of July holiday weekend, to make sure every station they can work gets into the log. And finally, into our last story this week of Amateur Radio continues to monitor Hurricane Brett. WX4NHC is an amateur radio station located in the National Hurricane Center in Miami, Florida. The station has been totally assembled from donated equipment and is operated by an organized group of volunteer amateur radio operators since 1980. WX4NHC has been activated whenever a hurricane is within 300 miles of landfall in the areas between Western Atlantic, the Caribbean, or the Eastern Pacific. They also provide emergency backup communications from NHC to the National Hurricane Center to the National Weather Service offices and other agencies in case of local landfall. The WX4 NHC team is composed of 30 specially trained volunteer operators that man the ham radio station in three to four hour shifts. For example, during the historic 2005 hurricane season, the station was manned sometimes with two to three operators at a time for more than 500 hours. Sometimes with back-to-back hurricanes, we operated twice from inside the eye of Hurricane Katrina 
in Woma and collected hundreds of surface reports each hurricane season. Volunteer networks to collect real-time data and the surface reports for the National Hurricane Center specialists via amateur radio using many modes such as HF, shortwave radio, VHF and UHF radio, voice over internet systems, Echolink, IRLP, APERS, and volunteer weather observer networks, citizens weather observer programs, and online reporting via email and fax. <clears throat> so um, that will conclude our news for this week. As always, our news is sourced from the AWRL, Amateur Radio Newsline, and other sources, and I will provide links to those stories and more uh, in our description and show notes. So uh, as we uh, continue to move into our next segment, as always, is HamFest, and these will all uh, usually be in the Midwest area, but I've kind of explored some of these a little further out too. Uh, some of these are sometimes more East Coast. Uh, and check out the AWRL HamFest schedule page for a local ham near you, and that will be also be in the uh, show links note, notes. On July 8th, the SVARC Summer HamFest in Minot will be hosting the AWRL North Dakota Section Convention in Minot, North Dakota. July 15th, the uh, South uh, or SEARC Tailgate HamFest will be hosting the South Dakota Section Convention. The CVARC 2023 HamFest will be hosting the Pennsylvania State Convention in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania on July 29th. And also on that same date, the West Virginia State Convention HamFest will be held in Sutton, West Virginia. And finally, their probably third largest HamFest of the year, August 19th and 20th, right here in my backyard, uh, Huntsville HamFest will be hosting the AWRL Alabama State Convention in Huntsville, Alabama, and again, August 19th to the 20th, and hope to see you there as I will be there as well. Well, that will bring this show to a close this week, and I hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that you'll submit that subscribe button and share with friends, and I hope that you learned something that will help you in your ham radio operations. If you'd like to help support the channel and become a patron, look for me on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ham radio guy to join today. You can also find additional information, early release of video or a podcast and uh, blogs over there uh, on the um, website, buymeacoffee.com as well. So please hit that subscribe button and follow me on Twitter as I provide the latest information for all my podcasts immediately after publishing an episode so you can listen to it right away. As always, this is your ham radio guy in the chair and on the air. I say 73. W0 MET.